you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is they say, stop emailing me. I guess I didn't and don't see a ton of downside. Cold messaging has been given a bad rap. It's like pop-ups on websites. Everyone complains about them, but they work. That's why marketers keep relying on these techniques. But our guest, Jared Kleinert, wasn't sending sales emails. He was connecting with top industry leaders in Silicon Valley, asking them for their mentorship. And it worked. But how did he do it? In the subject line, I always put something that's either personal or sparks intrigue. My name is Ina, and I'm a global online presence expert. And today I interview Jared Kleinert, author of the best-selling books, 3 Billion Under 30 and 2 Billion Under 20, a collection of success stories by millennials changing the world, much like himself. By age 19, he had already started two companies, been mentored by the most connected people in industry, and had been on the TED stage. And in this episode, we're going to get to the bottom of the question we all have in our minds whenever we hear of a teenager breaking barriers. Where were his parents? And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're punching the wall wondering what you've done with your life, make sure to put some ice on it before you head over to the reviews section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's the interview with the most connected millennial, according to USA Today, Jared Kleinert. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Koveny, the podcast where the self-made teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found. Hi, everybody. Today, we have Jared Kleinert. And Jared, I've been dying to talk to you. So thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're the master networker. You know, you've published multiple books. And I... As a mom, I have a, a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. When I hear that you started your company, so you started several startups, a couple of startups while you were still a teenager, I hear like what comes to mind is, where were his parents? What were his parents doing? So I would love if you could take us back to that time. So Take, take me back to when you were a regular teenager with regular aspirations. You know, everybody starts out wanting to go to college and get a job and then eventually. So take me when you were just an average Joe, what happened? What was the environment around you that made you flip that switch to entrepreneurial world? Well, I think I was in a very privileged environment for entrepreneurship in that everyone in my family was a business owner. Uh, and in fact, if I look back even to my great grandparents, who I haven't uh, really had the opportunity to meet, uh, and like great great grandparents, there's entrepreneurs on many sides of my family. And so uh, my parents tried to start businesses when I was a baby, um, and I guess successfully started two restaurants, but those restaurants ultimately didn't work out too well. Um, and so you know, I grew up in a, a cool position where I saw success around me, at least financially and with business. You know, uncles had uh, successful companies, cousins, grandparents, uh, and I was able to see what that meant to them. And, you know, I saw uh, transition to retirement for a couple of those people or even selling some companies. And then my parents uh, went back and they were more entrepreneurial. Uh, my dad worked for 
my grandmother and still does on a catering company in South Florida, which I got to start working at when I was probably 11 or 12. And that was really valuable to learn about work ethic and, you know, sort of service skills. And then my mom was a uh, recruiter and yeah, you know, she was always killing it uh, with her sales figures and sort of being a top performer. Uh, but they didn't have their own companies when I was growing up. And so that was something I really wanted to take on uh, and see if I could replicate the success uh, stories that I'd seen in my family, but do something myself and sort of create my own legacy, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's why I started at such a young age. Uh, at 15, I tried to start my first business. Uh, didn't really have a successful project going until I was 17, uh, which ended up becoming my my first book and an online community around that. Was there a particular point? Because this could have totally gone either way, right? Not every kid wants to follow in their parents' footsteps. In fact, you get a lot of, especially at a teenage, in the teenage years, who want to separate themselves, who want to, who want to distance themselves from what their parents are doing, from their parents' expectations and kind of do their own thing. You, you chose to follow in their footsteps. And I would love to, to know what was the pivotal point. If you can tell us like the story of how that, that seed got planted for you. Yeah, I actually see it differently. I didn't want to follow my parents' footsteps. I, I saw them going through uh, or, or getting trapped in what I call this vicious cycle of normalcy uh, and what it was like to work for other people, not necessarily have the same upward mobility that entrepreneurs have. Uh, raising kids you know, makes it really challenging to uh, break off on your own and start something. And I didn't want to be in a position where my life would be dictated by other people, or if I was two minutes late to work, despite being a top performer, I would get uh, penalized for that or reprimanded. Uh, and so I wanted to model, I guess, after my grandparents or after, you know, uncles and uh, other people in my family. And can you think of a, a specific instance? Because I am really trying to get to something, something happened that made you go, well, I am going to take this seriously. I'm not going to wait until I finish college. So, you know, a lot of kids in your position would have been like, okay, then I'm going to study this in college and then I'm going to work my butt off in that way. You decided to start right away. And I want to know what, what happened. Yeah. I don't know if it was a specific moment, but I grew up in a divorced household as well. And so my mom uh, did most of the raising of us. Uh, she was unemployed for a period of time during the 08 uh, financial crisis and sort of the uh, aftermath of that. I, I don't remember exactly when uh, she was out of work, but you know, I saw her uh, push through that, you know, get a new job and all the while never make it seem to me and my brother like there was any difficulty going on. And you know, we, we definitely grew up middle class and you know, had a, a nice upbringing by most standards, uh, but it wasn't without struggle on the financial side or, or any sort of hardship. And I didn't really want to be in that position. Uh, and then I also didn't want to be in a position to just get a job to get by uh, or be trapped by a lifestyle, but I wanted to create something on my own that could eventually become a legacy. Uh, and, you know, with my dad, he uh, worked for you know, his mom and, and my grandmother, 
Uh, and there's definitely a lot to be said about entrepreneurship and sort of subscribing to someone else's vision, helping them build that. I, for whatever reason, that's just not the path I wanted to go down. And you know, I definitely didn't want to cater uh, for the rest of my life. You know, there's nothing against uh, service work. It's just from doing it 11 to 15, it's not the, I didn't want to, I, I guess that was the only business maybe I could have potentially taken on one day in my thirties and forties, you know, after working for my dad and grandmother for 10, 20 years, um, that wasn't a path that interested me either. Uh, and so I think it was a, more of a slow burn uh, to see different paths that weren't uh, related to entrepreneurship and starting your own business. And I wasn't interested in either. And so I uh, created my own idea uh, when I was 15 and sort of went from there. At which point was the, the person who became your mentor that kind of took you under his wing to, to teach you about business? Can you tell us how that, how that happened and how it evolved? Yeah, I guess you did your uh, homework, but I, I had a, I probably, uh, I had a negative mentor um, who was dating my mom at, at the time I met him. I you know, was learning under him for about six months and uh, realized uh, I didn't want to necessarily follow in his footsteps or implement what he was teaching me. Uh, and so, you know, don't want to harp too much on it. My, my mom doesn't like when I talk about this too much. Oh. Um, you know, I, I was I was spending a lot of time with someone who I later found out had served time in prison for securities fraud on Wall Street, and uh, I didn't want to end up like that, of course. And mm -hmm. I also uh, realized that you know, when I when I found out this information almost six months into uh, daily interactions with this individual, uh, I, I started looking back on some of our experiences and some of the decisions I was making to start my own company under his guidance. Uh, and I, I saw that there was a lack of integrity. Uh, I also mm -hmm. saw that there was uh, a lack of subject matter expertise. You know, I was trying to create an ed tech company uh, when I was 15 and 16. Uh, and the person I was learning from didn't know anything about education, didn't know anything about startups or technology. Uh, and so I wanted to do a 180. And that's when you know, I started reading the entrepreneurs and uh, LinkedIn content, saw an article in Forbes about the most connected man you don't know in Silicon Valley, uh, who was the, the founder of 15.5. And mm -hmm. as I'm reading this article, realized that this was someone who I, I really wanted to learn from and ask for mentorship from because it was, it was a total 180. It was, uh, the article was all about how highly regarded David was and, uh, you know, his successful career, starting companies, and also a fun lifestyle, kite surfing and hosting dinner parties that Tim Ferriss would show up to and Warren Buffett's former pilot would show up to and soccer players would show up to. So that was a, a much more appealing lifestyle on all fronts and sent, a, sent an email and uh, ended up getting an opportunity to work with him. And I know that you did this a couple of times because I want to dive into this concept that you've talked about in the past of working for free, all right? Because everybody who's listening right now, you know, they've, they've already started their business and they continue to hear from everybody, no, no, always charge for what you're worth, um, you know, always provide value and get paid for it, never do work for free. And actually, when I started my first business, my first website I ever made, I made it for free. I went down to the local diner and I told them I 
want to make your website and I'm not going to charge you at all. And they said, okay. And after that, I published that website on Facebook. I started to get referral after referral after referral. And those were my paid clients. But yes, I, I did. I made a whole website for free. And I, I really am interested in this angle for everybody who's listening, who's starting out. I wanted to know how did you go about this? Because you just mentioned you just sent out an email and you ended up making this happen. So this person you're speaking of is David Hassel. Is that right? Yeah. And he was in Silicon Valley. You were, were you in Atlanta at the time? I was in South Florida. You were in South Florida. He's in Silicon Valley. You just got out of a mentorship situation that did not work out. You are, you are hungry for the right kind of help. Tell me what that process of finding their email address of, of knowing what to write, of knowing how to follow up. Can you tell, tell, tell us a lot of detail of how you made that mentorship happen? And what were the terms of it? Yeah, I think it starts with understanding what you want and what value you can bring to the table in reciprocity. And so for me, I was looking for an opportunity to work for a tech company uh, I was looking to work with someone I could learn under. Uh, and the idea of becoming well-connected and, and learning soft skills really appealed to me. And so you know, I, I did less work when I was 16 and reaching out to David, but as I've replicated this over time, you know, I've gotten increasingly intentional about how I reach out to people. Um, I did this again when I was 18 uh, with Keith Ferrazzi, who wrote the book, Never Eat Alone. Uh, and I was you know, very specific in why I wanted to reach out to him. Uh, I had uh, signed a book deal for my first book uh, a few months prior. And so I wanted to learn how to sell a lot of books. I was coming off of two years working for 15.5 and helping them on on marketing, on building an outbound sales system. And so I knew some of the skills I could bring to the table for someone else. And I also wanted to work with someone that, again, was well-connected, that was known as a, a super connector and who I could continue learning these skills under. And so, you know, step one is be intentional about who you reach out to. Uh, step two is think about the value that you can provide to the other party. And, you know, with 15.5, it was my time and my hunger, as you described it. Uh, for Keith, it was similar, uh, but it was also bringing a sales system and sort of Silicon Valley marketing uh, methodology to his business, which was in a different industry and hadn't necessarily picked up those same ideals. Mm -hmm. uh, I also had some relationships when I reached out to Keith that I could parlay into press opportunities for him and media around a book that he was coming out with. Uh, he was publishing Never Eat Alone, Expanded and Updated uh, right around that time. And then three, it was uh, sending a cold email that would, you know, I guess briefly introduce myself, but also make it about the other person and how I could provide value. And so in the subject line, I always put something that's either personal or sparks intrigue. Uh, and so, if it sparks intrigue, you can use social proof. Uh, when I emailed Keith, you know, I was 18. I had done a TEDx talk. I was a soon-to-be-published author. You know, so those are some of the things I put. You know, 18-year-old TEDx speaker slash author to be um, dot 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 or something like that. Um, 
you know, one of my favorite subject lines these days is quick question, dot, dot, dot. Um, or you could personalize and say, hey, Ina, uh, I have an idea for you. And then you'll be like, ooh, what's the idea? <laughs> you know, and click. Um, and so, you know, work on the subject line, set some really valuable real estate uh, online. And then in the body of the email, it's getting immediately into how you can offer value for the other person and quickly backing up your claims. So, mm -hmm. you know, hey, Keith, uh, I want to help you uh, promote Never Eat Alone, expanded and updated. Uh, I'm a you know, soon to be published author myself who's appeared in TEDx and XYZ at only 18 years old. And I have uh, these three people I can connect you to. Uh, this is not actually what I wrote, but it's, <laughs> it's close. Uh, and that's how I would phrase these or how I'd write these sort of emails today. Uh, and then close out with a very clear call to action. You know, so can we get on Zoom on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern? If not, how's Friday at you know, 11 a.m. Eastern? Uh, and give them a clear next step. And that's, uh, that's sort of all the work before you ever you know, speak with someone. Uh, but if you're doing that work up front, it's gonna be really clear how unique your approach is versus most of the bots that we see online or you know, other people that are uh, just out to promote themselves and get ahead. Uh, without thinking about what they can offer in return. Right. And, you know, a lot of the people that I interview for the show have been doing this for a long time, have been working on their craft and working on their network and everything for 10 years. I mean, you have been, you said, you know, it's been eight years that you've been in business. But at the time that you wrote these emails, you hadn't. You, you were just completely fresh, just, just wanted to go out there and learn. And it still piques my curiosity of how somebody uh, who is that young, like think back, you were 15, 17, 18 years old, how you got all of that confidence and all of that grit that people who have been in business for 20 years are still trying to get. And I would love to know your perspective. You know you better than anybody. What do you think was the, the you can attribute to the fact that you had so much grit and so much confidence to just go and say, Nothing is impossible, and I'm just going to step out there and do what I want. Objectively, I didn't, I don't see a lot of uh, downside to sending those emails, and so mm -hmm. you know it's all positive, or they just don't respond, or you know the worst thing that's going to happen is they say stop emailing me. Right. Okay. Uh, and so I don't, I guess I didn't and don't see a ton of downside. Um, what I can share as far as building confidence that was super helpful for me from 15 to 16 uh, was when I started my first business, I was actually pretty shy and introverted. And as soon as I got my license, uh, I started going to a lot of conferences in South Florida and uh, startup weekend events and pitch events and putting myself out there uh, to pitch different ideas or to join little startup hackathon teams uh, or to go to conferences and walk up to the person who was on stage. And that was extremely valuable. Uh, and I think broke me out of my shell a little bit so that by the time I was sending these cold emails or starting to uh, actually work with teams in person, because I, I did spend a summer when I was 17 uh, in Silicon Valley with the 15-5 team, uh, 
uh, or when I was on different calls with book contributors and convincing them to join, uh, I had already broken out of my shell and, and was also starting to gain some of these soft skills under David and under Keith later. Uh, so that was probably the, the biggest shift for me and something that is replicable for you know, someone listening is if you do feel like you're shy or reserved, uh, put yourself out there and you know, post pandemic, go to a lot of events, uh, do things that are uncomfortable, you know, go up to the speaker, or if it's a pitch event, get up on stage and pitch. Uh, if, you, uh, if you would like, you can do things virtually and you know, just unmute yourself in meetings and talk and share. Uh, and you don't have to have any expectation of those initial outcomes as far as meeting new people. Uh, it's really just getting reps of introducing yourself, talking, being in those groups of people. It's invaluable later on. Uh, and then there's not, no one's going to shake your confidence or it's not gonna matter if you're around someone who's prominent, uh, you'll feel more comfortable than you know, before. Yeah, a lot of people who are listening may have a full-time job as they're starting their business. So I'm going to relate that to you being in school, right? It's like you were sitting at home twiddling your thumbs trying to figure out what to do and like, hey, I'm going to go to a conference. So for everybody out there who has already a full-time job and here you are saying, well, if you want to really make this happen for yourself, go out and meet people, go out and put yourself in those uncomfortable situations, go out and do it. What advice would you give to people who are juggling multiple things at once? How did you do it? I cared less and less about school. <laughs> and I uh, didn't do homework. And uh, I mean, my junior year of high school, I probably skipped 30 out of the 180 days of school. And then my senior year of high school, I studied on a local college campus mm -hmm. and was able to compress my schedule so that I was only taking classes uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And mm -hmm. so that gave me the opportunity to leave town for a conference on Thursday night and come back you know, Monday at night or Tuesday morning if I needed to, uh, or just focus most of my week on work as opposed to school. Uh, and so it, ideally, you would put yourself in a position where you can maximize your time for what you care about most. Uh, so you know, we're all working remotely right now. It's probably the best time to actually have that side hustle. Uh, and as long as you can be productive with your time, then you can focus on your side hustle or business idea and still get your job done with work. That's not a popular answer with employers necessarily, but right. we're talking about starting a business here and creating something that you want to leave a legacy for. Um, I have friends at Google right now, and I'm like, this is the perfect time for you to finally, you know, prepare for that jump uh, mm -hmm. because you don't have to go into an office or travel. You, know, you could do your job, and if you can get it done in two hours or four hours, and you got the rest of the day to work on your thing, uh, mm -hmm. and that's not always possible. You know, so you know, a year ago, I would have said, you know, see if you can be a remote worker first, and then start doing your own thing, or uh, just work harder on weekends, or you know call in sick or do whatever you need to do to give yourself that time. Uh, but now is a perfect opportunity if you're employed and also looking to create something on the side. Uh, right. And so for me, when I was in school, it was, it was honestly just caring less about school uh, and focusing more on work. And I, I felt confident in doing that because I also, uh, I mean, I had good grades. I wasn't necessarily worried about 
graduating, you know, just like if you're not worried about getting fired, then you know you can do this. But if you're worried about your job, then you should probably focus on that. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful I was in a position to not worry about my survival in school. Right. And I also wasn't prioritizing college anymore. Like I, I definitely grew up wanting to get into Harvard or Stanford and had the grades to back that up, you know, up until maybe 10th grade. But I had the hardest class schedule out of my entire public uh, high school of like 550 people. Um, so if I had straight A's, I would have been valedictorian, gone to whatever school I want. But, you know, I just realized that college wasn't going to be that important for me. Uh, mm -hmm. I ended up not going to college at all after taking two gap years and started uh, putting my time towards what I thought could be more valuable for me, which was starting companies, working for you know people that I really respected and building a network. Can we talk a little bit about your first book? How sure. did the idea come about for it? And you were already, I mean, like we said, busy with school, busy you know, interning for David Hassel. You were doing all of these things already. Where did the idea come about for the book? Where did you find the time to write it? And then we're going to get into self-publishing versus traditional. Like, I want you to tell me the story of your first book. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to attend a conference hosted by the Teal Foundation. Uh, they're behind the Teal Fellowship Program, uh, where they were paying kids to drop out of school and build businesses instead. And I uh, attended this conference when I was 17 in New York and had my mind blown by uh, all the people that I met because it was the first time I was around other like-minded individuals who were my age, you know, teenagers mm -hmm. who had millions of downloads on apps they'd created, had raised millions of dollars for their companies, uh, were trying to think about how to mine asteroids for precious metals. Uh, you know, the youngest astrophysicist in the world was in the room uh, and you know, on and on and on. And I, just had such a great time there socially, uh, really felt like I'd found my tribe. And then there was a speaker towards the end of the event who made this case that there was 20 people selected for the Teal Fellowship each year, that there was 200 people or so in the room, and yet there was 2 billion people in the room, or 2 billion people in the world at or under 20 years old. Uh, and so that concept, the 2 billion under 20, stuck with me. Uh, and then it also, you know, I realized in the weeks following the event that it might be interesting to crowdsource stories from the people that attended this event and see how they're accomplishing what they're doing at such a young age. Because it is a unique time in history where uh, until maybe the millennial generation, you haven't had teenagers and, and people in their early 20s who had uh, access to the rest of the world uh, through modern technology with you know, global communications and social media networks. You know, someone like Malala being able to lead uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people all around the world and actually affect change, it's not possible uh, for Gen X or for boomers. And no, it's not a knock on anyone in that generation. They just didn't have the connectivity um, that we do now. Yeah. And uh, there's also, you know, institutions around us crumbling and you know, the rule books being thrown out the window. Uh, and so it was just interesting uh, to be in that Teal Foundation community, um, 
And when I shared the idea for this book in a Facebook group that we had for attendees of that event, it caught on like wildfire. There was, you know, a lot of people that wanted to work on the book with me. There was people that wanted to contribute. And so we ended up on a model of writing where we had 75 contributors uh, who shared uh, three to five page stories about formative life experiences that they had had, um, as well as practical takeaways for the reader. Uh, and so from a reader standpoint, we wanted older generations to learn how millennials tick uh, and why they're able to uh, break down barriers and achieve success unlike ever before in history. And for you know young people like your kids, uh, we wanted to show them different models of success and that you didn't just have to get a degree, um, but if you got degrees, you know, there's all these advanced uh, tracks that you can go down. And you didn't just have to start a tech company. You could do something in the nonprofit space or uh, become an athlete or an actor. Uh, but if you wanted to start a tech company, then here's all these different opportunities. Uh, and it was just a really unique uh, amalgam of people. And we went beyond the Teal Foundation community and got a very diverse group of individuals to contribute. and. Yeah, sought out a book deal, got a got a deal with uh, St. Martin's Press in New York. And can you tell us? Can you tell us more about how that deal happened? It it was again just a trial uh, trial by fire. I uh, cold emailed twenty or thirty literary agents, and uh, we got one who took us up and and worked with us. Uh, they the literary agent's job is to then help you put together a book proposal and to uh, pitch your idea to different editors. Uh, and so we didn't really know what we were doing. We actually had the entire manuscript done before we pitched different editors. Uh, and so they didn't really have a lot of work to do after they acquired our book. And you know, when, when I look back on that project, there was definitely things I would do differently in the proposal writing process, even in the agent selection and the editor selection process. There's all these different things to think about if you want to become an author. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first is developing your platform uh, because publishers care about whether or not you can sell books uh, mm -hmm. more so, I would say, than they care about what you're writing about. And so uh, it was actually announced uh, today or yesterday that President Obama is coming out with a, a new book. Mm -hmm. And they've already uh, done, I think, three million prints for the first edition. This book's coming out in November. And to like outsource some of the supply chain to Germany, and they're like shipping, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies to the U.S. for the release of this book. But most, you know, most first-time authors uh, aren't going to sell uh, a million books, let alone a thousand books. And uh, publishers are basically betting on which books and authors they think are going to succeed or not. And so you have to come to the table with a marketing plan, with a platform uh, to say, "Hey, I have." 10,000 people on my email list, or I have 100,000 people that have downloaded my podcast. And then you also have to you know, think about where your book uh, is in terms of the marketplace. So if you're looking to get a, a publishing deal, those publishers are looking at all different types of books. They're seeing um, basically what stories are going to resonate with the business world or with culture in a year from now when the book may come out or in you know, two years from now. Uh, and so they're almost like investors in the tech world. And I, I would argue they're not great investors. I, I'm a big proponent of self-publishing um, mm -hmm. for most people because you can speed up the timeline. You can better align the message of your book 
with your business. Uh, if you're looking to use your book as a, uh, you know, opt-in or as a business card for your consulting services or, you know, speaking, you can uh, retain the rights to all of your writing as opposed to selling that when you get in advance. Uh, you can control all the design aspects. You know, all these things are, are given away to the publishers when you sign that book deal. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you know, with $3 billion under 30, I ended up self-publishing and had a different experience, you know, learned a lot from that as well. Um, but it was able to better align the book promotion with uh, a continual business and actually was able to get contact information for my readers because I sold it through my website and Amazon as opposed to selling $2 billion or 20 through Amazon and through bookstores where they would get all the contact information. And whereas through my website, I know the name, the email, the phone number, the address of people that buy my book. And so then I can keep a dialogue going with them, support their work in the future. You know, they can work with me. Uh, so there's, yeah, we could have uh, an hour long conversation just about books. I know. I, I, I particularly love this topic and I know everybody who's listening, they have a book in them and all of this has been gold for them. So what is next for you? Tell us a little bit of what you're doing right now and um, you know how people can hook into the events that you have coming up. Yes. So I'll, I'll you know give a super quick uh, fast forward, but my cold name out of Keith Ferrazzi led to me starting a marketing consulting firm uh, that mm -hmm. I ran for four or five years. Uh, worked with New York Times bestselling authors, uh, Fortune 1000s, VC-backed startups on marketing and business development strategy uh, while the books were coming out. So the you know, first book came out, it was called the number one entrepreneurship book of the year uh, in 2015, according to the Axiom Business Book Awards. Uh, and then 3 billion under 30 came out. I was very fortunate to work with hundreds of you know, the world's smartest, most talented millennials uh, in that process because we had you know, 75 contributors to each book. And so using what I learned from 15, you know, from uh, David Hassel, from Keith, some other mentors along the way, you know, I built uh, what many would call like a world-class network. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized that I didn't necessarily want to run a consulting business. And I didn't know where the book business was going to go um, or speaking for that matter. And so back in uh, late 2017, uh, I was thinking about what was going to happen next. Uh, and ended up starting a mastermind group. Uh, mm -hmm. And so January 2018, we did our first Meeting of the Minds Summit. Uh, essentially reached out to consulting clients, people in my network, book contributors said, hey, why don't you join us in Atlanta? And, and then we did another one the following weekend in New York. Um, so why don't you join us in person, meet you know, 30 really smart people uh, from all different backgrounds who are all running their own companies. And see if you can walk away with some you know, lifelong friends or some new business partners or referrals, uh, some breakthrough ideas for your company or any strategy or issues that you have. Uh, and you know, we invited all these people. They said yes. They joined us uh, for these summits and they got a ton of value out of it. It was so much fun. And we developed a business from that. And so my, my main work today is running a company called Meeting of the Minds. Uh, we do quarterly in-person summits for entrepreneurs, um, pretty intimate, you know, between 20 and 40 people. And we'll go to Napa Valley or Bermuda uh, or New York or have people in Atlanta. Uh, and then at the beginning of the pandemic, we also started a monthly virtual uh, experience that we call deep dives. Uh, and so each month we'll pick a topic of interest to the general community 
and do two days of training on that, but also keep some of the mastermind elements and really uh, focus on connecting everyone and having them walk away with a whole new network. And so you know, we'll do a marketing and business development deep dive, or we'll do a crisis management deep dive, or a time management and business operations deep dive, uh, thought leadership deep dive, and talk about books and speaking and all that fun stuff. And so that is what I do. Uh, you know, and that bring is- people together, connect them. That is uh, the pleasure that I have every single day. Uh, and you know, I also write a lot of content online. I have a, a newsletter that's available. Um, where I published, you know, some of my thoughts on writing books and getting book deals, and you know, some of the things that you referenced. So I'm um, I'm either writing, um, whether it's a newsletter, or eventually I'll do more books, uh, or I'm connecting people, you know, virtually or in person with Meeting of the Minds. I love it, and we're gonna put your links in the description so everybody can go and check out what you have coming up. Um, let me ask you another question, Jared. Uh, as we're winding down. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about being a successful and visible entrepreneur like you? When you're comparing yourself to others, you're seeing the best version of themselves or the version that they want to share with the world on social media or in some conversations. You're not seeing all the struggles that they're going through or you know, what's uh, under the hood. And many times it's not that impressive or uh, they're going after vanity metrics, even revenue is a vanity metric if you're not looking at profit. Uh, and social media account is a revenue uh, or is a vanity metric if you're not looking at engagement and where that engagement is tracking towards building a business. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, it's a message to myself uh, and to <laughs> others, but don't compare yourself to others. You know, you're uh, in your own race, hopefully building your own company and ha- having fun. Thank you so much for saying that because that's one thing that everybody just falls into is a comparisonitis that exists out there, especially in the online world. So my final question to you is, I'm about to give you the power to get everybody who's listening to you right now, they have to do whatever you tell them to do in the next 24 hours. And they have to do it. It could be something to improve their life, to increase their revenue, to make their network better, but they have to do it in the next 24 hours. Whatever comes out of your mouth right now, what would that be? Let's stick with the cold email theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been life-changing for me in, uh, on multiple occasions. I still cold email people to this day uh, and send, yeah, send, send a cold email to someone that you want as a mentor, someone that you want as a potential partner, uh, someone that you would identify as your sort of dream client if you could work with anyone. And if necessary, work with them for free to create a compelling case study uh, or to get your foot in the door. Uh, propose a time to hop on Zoom uh, or if they're in your city, you know, offer a socially distanced coffee. Uh, but don't be afraid to send uh, that cold email in the next 24 hours. And finally, Jared, thank you so much for spending all this time with us. How can people find you and find out more about Meeting of the Minds? Yeah, email me anytime, uh, jaredkleinert at gmail.com. And like I said before, you can go to motm.co to learn about all the upcoming deep dives and quarterly summits. And you could also check out the newsletter, uh, motm.substack.com. All right. Thank you so much. I'm going to put all those links here. Jared, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much and good luck with everything. Yeah. Thank you, Ina. Thank you. Hey there, Ina here. 
After this interview, you may be wondering how you could create the kind of network that Jared has been able to create. I'm going to answer this and more in the next episode where I will teach you three things Jared Kleinert is doing very right in his business so that you can start doing these things right now. So make sure to hit the subscribe button on your podcasting app and watch for the companion episode coming up next. And to send me a question for the Q&A segment in the companion episode, go to the global phenomenonpodcast.com and I will answer your question on the air. See you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Kobeny. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with a companion episode every Thursday. This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark.